This, last week, we began this mini Christmas series called What a Night. And uh, if you recall, those of you who were here, and if you, if you didn't get the message and would like to, of course, you can download it uh, from our website, podcasts and things like that. But uh, we, we were really talking about the situation that we, we find ourselves in. But also we were saying, you know, these, this credit crunch we're in and these, these uh, extraordinary situations that, that we're hearing about in our financial institutions and threats of unemployment, you know, this isn't new. In fact, 2,700 years ago in Israel, they were facing the threat of invasion uh, from a very unsavory despot to ruler who was king of the Assyrians and they were they were really fretting because what this guy used to do is he would uproot everyone and take them to a foreign land uh, and then populate your homeland with with others he would sort of shift whole populations around that was where his way of sort of disorientating and suppressing people and they'd already lost two of the northern tribes so right into this desperate situation the first of these Christmas prophecies came, which, which I read last week. That, that, that a message of a savior, one who would come to deliver them. And then 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was born, similarly, you know, the people of Israel at that time, they, they were longing for a savior. They, they really knew a credit crunch big time. Most of them were barely able to feed themselves. And then on top of that, they had to pay Roman taxes. They were the occupying force. So they were desperate times. And into this situation came a savior. And, and we talked a little bit about that. Now, there isn't time, and it wouldn't be right to, to sort of look at that. But, but today, of course, we, ha we, have, we have a situation we're facing. We're very aware of the, the world situation and our national situation. Every day there's more news of some sort of threat, some, some darkness, some shadow, something to sort of oppress and depress us. So into this context comes the message of what we call the gospel. Into this context comes the Christmas message. And it is this context where this message shines the brightest. Let me put this down here so that you folk over there. Uh, John, would you mind just popping that on the floor? Peering around a music stand. There you go. So it's into this situation. The context is absolutely right. That the, the message that we as believers, as followers of Jesus have when it comes to Christmas is absolutely spot on for such a time as this. And, and this saviour, what does he look like? Well, actually, it, it's summed up, if you like, in, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This little verse here, we looked at it last week. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be a wonderful counsellor, a mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That was 2,000 years ago. That was 2,700 years ago. And that is today. But Christmas... We were out there in the Maltings wrapping presents. And last year, if you recall, I went a bit crazy. We had a big blow-up Santa on the stage. And I, I beat him up and kicked him off the stage. And, and I tell you, your expressions was a, were an absolute picture. Half of you were really enjoying it, really sort of laughing and smiling and enjoying it. The other half thought, he has finally lost it. Oh, my gosh, we're in trouble. And uh, you looked absolutely terrified. It was very amusing. It will stay in my memory. Well, I'm not going to beat Santa up this time. Because actually, you know, the giving and receiving of gifts is something that's very key to Christmas. So God forbid that it should be otherwise. But let's, let's through the help of a little 
film clip we have here. Let's just look at Christmas as is. Uh, hopefully you'll enjoy this. Thanks. You know, I love Christmas and all it, it, it kind of entails. I think I've told you before, in my family, the tradition was we didn't really play up birthdays too much, but we did Christmas big time and, and the whole thing. And I love it. I really do. In spite of my assaulting Santa last year. But, you know, actually... The, 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 the truth is, it begins with a teenage girl, a teenage mother. I was in a queue outside the post office, like half the world, the other, uh, on Thursday. And, and I was in this queue for 50 minutes, and the queue in Hatfield went out of the post office and along the, and along the precinct there. And once again, I, I was struck by these, these teenage mums. And they're, you know, the kids have got the best of everything. You know, these little mites all wrapped up in their quinny pushchairs with all these lovely snug things around. But the mums have stood there shivering in their short dresses and their t-shirts. Bless their hearts. And yet, you know, this story begins with a teenage mum. Little verse from Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now I see we've popped that image up and I just found that there. And you know, the, one of the things is that we either trivialize the Christmas story or we actually make almost too much of it. We, we, we kind of glorify and deify Mary. And there she is there, this image I just picked off the internet. There were thousands of them. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, the mother of God. And there she is, complete with her halo and everything. But actually, next time you're in Burger King and you see a teenage mum, you're looking at, at somebody who looks like the real Mary. And the story for her was, was a, a challenging one, a difficult one, a costly one. Let me just read this story to you. And it comes out of Luke's account of the birth of Jesus. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a, a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And you will be with the child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. You know, I, Fliss and I have had some great news over the last few weeks. And our, our Californian daughter, Jessie, who some of you know, she's pregnant. Yeah! First, first baby. Thank you. And, she, and, and this little boy, he's going to be called Reuben, 
uh, is going to be our second grandchild. But, you know, suddenly she's on iChat. We have iChat at home. And she's, you know, every day she's giving us a check. She's talking to us and spent hours with my wife. And she's talking about, you know, this and talking about that, what's going on in her body. And, and also talking about provision. And, you know, do I need to get this? And do you, need, do you think I need to go that? And then joy of joys, her sister-in-law, who lives 30 miles away in Santa Maria, tells her that she's pregnant. So Jesse and Amanda, they're getting together and they're swapping stories. This, this is what young mums, particularly mums who are pregnant for the first time, want to do. They want to get together and they want to talk about this. And, and, and they want to get together with other women who are going through the same thing. So Jesse and Amanda, there in California, are getting together and they're sharing notes and experiences. What do you think? And is this all right? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. There's that natural excitement that comes with, with pregnancy and the prospect of your firstborn child. And what did Mary do, this teenage mom, having had this extraordinary encounter with an angel? First of all, I mean, who could she talk to? I'm pregnant. Yeah, no, it's not what you think. It's an angel. I mean, that's going to go down well, isn't it? You know? But actually, she can almost sidestep the issue a little bit there because she hears that Elizabeth, a relative of hers, is pregnant. And so what does she do? She does exactly what Jesse, my precious Jesse, is doing. She, she visited, Jesse visits Amanda, and so Mary here visits Elizabeth. And the scriptures tell us that she, she stayed there for, for three months, stayed with her relative Elizabeth, and, and they sort of did being pregnant together. But of course there comes a moment when she has to go home and face her fiancé and her family and and how does she begin to tell them this incredible story that the Lord God has visited her, that even though she is a virgin, she has been impregnated by God himself so that the Savior is not just going to be a wise philosopher, a teacher, a, a, a scientist, a, a military man. The Savior is going to be perfect. You see... When, when I, if I fell into a river and someone threw me a rope in order to haul me out, I would need a, a good, strong, stout rope. You know, the Bible says that we have a problem. Mankind, humankind has a problem. That problem is called sin. It, it's what we've done with the world. It's what we've done with one another. It's what we've done to ourselves. And it's what we've done to God. It's called sin. But we're, we're incapable of helping one another because we're all in the same river. We need a rescuer. We need a savior. And this savior better be perfect if he's going to deal with the problem of sin. And so that's why this savior needs to be perfect. God and man. God who is perfect becomes man. You know, a simple illustration. We have this, this lovely granite top in our, in our kitchen and and, and every now and then I do the unthinkable and this shouts at me. I accidentally use the floor cloth on the countertop. Gasps. I'm getting that horrified look again like I got last year when I beat up Santa. I know, I, I know, I mean, what do I know? I mean, okay, so it was, it was it, right, okay, fine, yeah, I'm an idiot. But you see, if I'm going to clean the granite top, Fliss has got a good point, I need a clean cloth. Not the floor cloth, Chris. Not the floor cloth. 
So if I'm going to have a saviour who's going to put me right with God, with the holiness, the purity, the righteousness of God, it better be a clean saviour, one who can actually deal with my sin, can take my sin upon himself so that I can enter in to the Father's love. He better be clean. I'm not a floor cloth of a saviour. But I digress. You know, the story of, of the birth of Jesus, that just the simple reality of it is wonderful. We don't need halos and stuff. And dear old Mary, this teenage mom, has to go home and face the music. I've got another little flip film clip now. I hope you'll enjoy it. Thank you, Chris. Isn't that amazingly done? It's beautifully active. Do you know, I have, I have three daughters. And fortunately, I've never been in that situation, but if one of my daughters was to come home and, and tell me that she was pregnant, I don't think I'd be much different from that guy. But knowing me, I'd probably have a few more things to say. But, but how, do you, how do you resolve that? You know, how do you work with that? And obviously the family did survive that. But what about Joseph, that dear man we saw at the beginning of that clip? What was, was his story? Well, let me let the scripture do the talking here. This is Matthew's account of how Joseph squared that circle in possibility. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with a child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. Joseph gave her the name Jesus. What a guy. What a guy. Do you know, those of you who are parents, you will remember the birth of your first child and the way you anticipated that. How did Joseph and Mary cope with those nine, six months, whatever, waiting for the birth of Jesus? I've told you a bit of my testimony this year. In fact, it's gone on film now. When my first daughter was, was pregnant, when this was pregnant with my first daughter, it triggered something in me. I'd been a bit of a Jack the Lad businessman and all the rest of it done rather well. But, but the birth of my first child, the, the, the pregnancy with our first child started something in me and I wanted to to think through 
what I would want to teach her, how I wanted to care for her and provide for her. You know, what would I say to her about politics and the world? What would I say to her about ethics and morals? What would I say to her about religion? And I, I, I need, needed to look at that one because I had, had no faith that, that anyone would recognize. And so I began preparing myself as a father for the birth of this child. I, I began to learn and, and try and, and get ready, just as Fliss tried to get ready. And we would have conversations. And there's a lovely little film clip I'm going to show you now. Just a little intimate conversation between Mary and Joseph as they try and prepare themselves for their firstborn child. I wonder if I'll be able to teach him anything. You guys will understand that. I wonder if I'll be able to teach him anything. That dear couple are working through, not just being pregnant, not just the preparing themselves for their firstborn child, but they're going to be giving birth and parenting God himself. Joseph has obviously thought about this. He says, I wonder if I'll ever, if I'll be able to teach him anything. Well, why not? I mean, during the end of the worship, I mean, I, I read that little passage from John's Gospel. Let's just remind ourselves of it again. Thank you, man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. This is this child. It's God who has condescended to come to us. Who has been birthed as we have been birthed. As a man. As a baby. And Joseph wonders whether he'll be able to teach him anything. That's the kind of question that would haunt me. But they make the best of it. They, 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 they do everything they know how and everything they can. And the family kind of rallies around. Some are better than others about it. But they kind of pull together. And then in the midst of it all, just what they didn't need. A, a, a Roman centurion and passes through their little community. And they nail a decree. In the, in the town center, the village center, and it says this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone had to go to his own town to register. This was just not what they needed. By now... Mary is heavily pregnant. You don't want to travel anywhere. She's at the kind of lie on the couch and, oh, I think I need another cup of tea stage. Oh, while you're out there, I need some chocolate with some coconut sprinkled on it. 
Oh, and while you're out there, can you just check that the washing machine is finished? She's at that stage. Anybody recognize that stage? The guys do, yeah. And suddenly they've got to travel to their hometown to, to, to do a census. Now Joseph goes into kind of operation mode. It'll be okay, okay, we're right, okay, okay, fine, we can manage this, okay, we can do this. They begin this journey. No internet, no telephones, no postal service. You know, if it had been me, I'd have been straight on the old internet, booking up the old Premier Inn stuff and getting it sorted out, but of course they can't do that. It's a long journey to Bethlehem, Joseph's hometown. It's a difficult journey, and because Mary is so heavily pregnant, it's a slow journey. Verse 4, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Jair, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, surprise, surprise, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Poor old Joseph. He wanted it to be perfect. He was an honest man, a good man. He wanted to make it right for Mary. This was not the way he would have planned it. He, he kind of worked it out. He'd squared the circle. He'd come to terms with it. The family was sort of there with him as well. And then he had to take her to Bethlehem. And when they get there, every single room's been taken. This is just not what he would have wanted for her or his firstborn son who is Jesus, the Son of God. He felt like a failure. Oh, my goodness. God entrusts me with parenting, fathering, raising his own son. This isn't good enough. This, this shouldn't happen like this. A stable. That really meant a cave. They, they kept the animals in, in caves and things like that. A cave with the animals and he was not feeling good about himself. But that night, that night, there was a, an extraordinary stillness. That night was warm and balmy midwinter. That night, you could see every star in the universe. That night, the animals made melody. That night, shepherds were out on a field. That night, the heavens blazed and the angels sang praises to God. What a night! What a night! I think this film clip, this last bit, captures something of that. Thank you. Gold for the King of Kings. Frankincense for the Prince of Priests. 
myrrh. Sacrifice. This baby, this Savior, this wonderful counsel, this mighty God, this everlasting Father, this Prince of Peace is also our sacrificial lamb. The one who lays down his life that we might have life. Save God with us. And that teenage mum and the stressed out young father suddenly found themselves center of the universe and heaven heaven's pageant was played out before and we like millions of others across this world throughout time and again come to thank God to worship him to lay down our crowns and our gifts at his feet because he is our Savior, God with us.